Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the whore. Israel is defiled. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. For the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Israel and Ephraim shall stumble in his guilt. Judah also shall stumble with them. With their flocks and herds they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them. They have dealt faithlessly with the Lord, for they have borne alien children. Now the new moon shall devour them with their fields. Blow the horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah. Sound the alarm in Beth-Avon. We follow you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment among the tribes of Israel. I make known what is sure. The princes of Judah have become like those who moved the landmark. Upon them I will pour out my wrath like water. Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment because he was determined to go after filth. But I am like a moth to Ephraim, like dry rot to the house of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king. But he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. End of the first oracle. Now we have another oracle. Uh, this is uh, Hosea 14 verses 1 to 3. Uh, and we have a call to repentance. And then in verses, uh, in chapter 6 verses 1 to 3, we have a response. So first the call to repentance. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all my, take away all iniquity except what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. In you, the orphan finds mercy. And now, now we hear the voice of Israel uh, responding to this call to repentance. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. And finally, in Hosea chapter 14, we uh, have God's promise of forgiveness and healing. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. 
His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Eternal God, it is by your Holy Spirit that these words were inspired and preserved for us. We pray this morning that, again, by that same Spirit, you would speak to us the words that we need to hear. These prayers we make in the name of Jesus. Amen. So when I sin, do I run to God or do I run from God? When I sin, do I fly to God as the one who heals me and forgives me? Or do I fly from God as the one who judges me and condemns me? When I sin, do I run to God or do I run from God? I think there is no clearer measure of the condition of our soul than the answer to that one question. When I sin, do I run to God or do I run from God? So right now, in this service, in this fellowship of sinners, as we claim to be, we are going to take 30 seconds to think individually about the last time we sinned. And then we're going to ask ourselves the question, the last time I sinned, did I run to God or did I run from God? And then after the 30 seconds are over, we will turn to our neighbors in the pews and we will confess our sins to each other. And we will share our answer to this important question. When I sin, do I run to God or do I run from God? Okay, just 30 seconds. Here we go. One of the verses that my daughter Mia is learning in the second grade she attends here at Valley Christian School is James 5.16, which says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, I'm going to give you a pass this morning on turning to your neighbor and confessing your sins because I know that during those 30 seconds some of you are calculating whether you will run for the door or fake a heart attack. But let me say this. If ever there is a moment when I cannot comfortably obey James 5.16, if ever there is a moment when I can't stop what I'm doing, and turn to a brother in Christ and confess my sin and ask him to pray for me, if ever that moment comes, then rest assured, I am outside of the will of God. 
confess your sins to each other and pray for each other is a clear command and resistance to this command is a sign that something is wrong in our relationship with God. So the question is, when I sin, do I run to God or do I run from God? Notice I didn't ask if I sin. Do I run to God or do I run from God? Because every person in this room, at least, sins regularly. When it comes to sin, the question is never if, but when. In 1 John 1, 8 and 10, we read, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And we read, If we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar. And God's word is not in us. The person who denies their own sinfulness is like the child who covers his eyes and thinks that no one can see him. It's only fooling one person. This is our third and our final sermon in our series on the book of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel about 700 years before Jesus. God's complaint against the kingdom is that they are unfaithful. God has been good to them, but they've turned to pagan gods and to pagan nations for their security and for their sustenance. Because the people of Israel are unfaithful, busy chasing after other gods beside Yahweh, God instructs his prophet, Hosea, to marry an unfaithful woman. A woman who is busy chasing after other men beside her husband. So Hosea marries a prostitute named Gomer. And this marriage becomes a kind of living parable of the relationship between the faithful Yahweh and the faithless Israel. This morning in our reading from Hosea, we heard from four separate oracles... The book of Hosea is a collection of oracles or messages received by the prophet from God over the course of several years. These four oracles that we read this morning present a narrative of God's redemption. The first oracle presents God's indictment against Israel. It describes uh, Israel's faithlessness and God's invitation uh, uh, to repent. The second oracle is God's renewed call to repent. The third oracle is God is Israel's faithful response to that invitation. And the fourth oracle is God's promise of forgiveness and healing. So first, in Hosea 5, 3 through 15, we hear God's complaint or God's indictment of Israel or Ephraim, which is another name by which Israel is called. We we read there, O Ephraim, you have played the whore. Israel is defiled. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God, for the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the, the Lord. So Israel has sinned, ho-hum, nothing unusual about that, no different from us. But the question here is, what will they do? Will they run to God or will they run from God? And the answer is foreshadowed in verse 3 where we read, Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. This word return 
is an important one in the Hebrew scriptures. Shuv is the word, and it means to turn, to turn around. It is the word for repentance in Hebrew. To repent is to turn around. When we repent of our sins, we're heading in one direction, and then we turn around. Here in verse 4, the prophet says, their deeds do not permit them to return, to turn around to their God. God has chastised Ephraim. We read in verse 11, Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment because he was determined to go after filth. That oppression, that crushing has come from God. It is his reaction to their sin. It is intended to wake them up and to turn them around. But in this case, Ephraim doesn't turn around. And verse 13 tells us what happens. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king, but he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. The sickness and the wound have come from God to chastise Ephraim for their sin. But rather than turning to God, which was God's hope, Ephraim instead goes looking for help someplace else. When we sin... There will always be some pain as a consequence. There are natural consequences built into many sins like a hangover into being drunk. But there are also spiritual consequences to our sin. When we're outside of God's will, we suffer spiritual consequences. The more time we spend away from God, the colder our hearts become toward God. And the harder it becomes for us to turn back to God. When we first enter into a new pattern of sin, our consciences might prick us. But then as we settle in and grow accustomed to things, as we grow comfortable with our sin, our conscience can become dull and unresponsive. That's why the prophet can say of Ephraim, their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. If we persistently turn away from God, if we persistently pull away from God, one possible outcome is that we will not be able to return. We may get so far away from God and our hearts might get so cold and hard to the word of God that we can just never get back. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1. In verse 24, he says about certain people who persist in their wickedness that, quote, God gave them over to their sinful desires. In verse 26, that God gave them over to their shameful lusts. In verse 28, that God gave them over to depraved minds. It's a frightful thought. But if we keep on resisting God, if we keep on resisting his pleadings, he may at some point give up on us. That's what Paul is talking about here. God has given up on these people and he will no longer struggle with them. God loves us and he wants to have a relationship with us, but God will respect our free wills and he will not force himself on us. The point in Hosea, in this oracle of indictment, is that the habitual practice of Ephraim, their deeds, in other words, prevents Ephraim from getting back to God. 
And rather than turning to God, who could do them some good, in fact, they turn to the very thing which has been the source of their trouble. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king. This is called the hair of the dog cure. Ephraim is in trouble. Ephraim is sick because he's been fooling around with Assyria. Judah is wounded because he has been fooling around with this great king. In other words, Egypt. God's complaint against Israel is that they've been turning to pagan political powers to accomplish their goals and to find their security. And trouble now has come. But rather than turning away from the source of their trouble which is this dalliance with Assyria and the great king, Ephraim and Judah double down and go in all the more with Assyria and the great king. It's a pattern that's all too common. When we are caught in addictive, habitual patterns of sin, and when that sin causes trouble or distress in our lives because we're troubled with our health or because we're troubled with our money or because we're troubled at home or because we're troubled on the job. When our addictive, habitual patterns of sin cause us trouble and distress all too often, we turn to the very thing that has caused us the trouble in the first place. Hair of the dog, they call it. When you have a drink to cure your hangover. It's not an uncommon pattern. Maybe you've done it in your life. The very things that get us into trouble. Gambling and drugs and illicit sex and out of control spending. Name your poison. Everyone has their favorite. It's to these very things that we often turn to soothe ourselves in our distress. And that's an addictive cycle. That's precisely what Israel is doing here in the book of Hosea. They have sinned, and rather than running to God to find relief, they run from God and look for solace in the wrong place. Human patterns of sin are so predictable, but thanks be to God, He is patient and merciful. And so in Hosea 14.3, we hear a renewed call to repentance, a renewed call to turn to God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Say to the Lord, take away my iniquity. Assyria will not save us. In the Lord, the orphan finds mercy. The only solution is to run to God. The only solution to sin is to run to God. I know that God is the one that we've offended. I know that God is the judge who upholds the law that we've broken. But the only solution to sin is to run to God. There is no other salvation. We can't save ourselves. Others can't save us. Only God, whom we have offended with our sins, can save us from our sins. And so God keeps calling us back. It's finally in Hosea 6... One to three that we hear a repentant response, a faithful response from Israel to God's call to repentance. We hear from Israel, come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down that he will bind us up. He will come to us as with the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. 
our instincts, our fleshly instinct, is to look anywhere but to God for our salvation. Because we know in our bones that God is the one who set the law and upholds the law, when we violate God's law and begin to reap the consequences of our sins, we look anywhere but to God for our rescue. We try to fix ourselves. We try to work harder. We make resolutions after resolutions that we're going to turn over a new leaf, that tomorrow's going to be different, that we're going to improve. And we do all of this to save face, to protect our pride, because if I can fix myself, then I'm not really such a failure. Because if I can save myself, then I don't need a savior. Part of the genius and the deep spiritual insight of 12-step programs like Alcoholics Anonymous is the very first step, an honest admission that I can't fix this. We admit that we are powerless over our sins and that our lives have become unmanageable. And if this problem is ever going to get fixed, God's going to have to do it. When we are afflicted by sin, we need to run to God. In Him alone there is hope and salvation. In our first reading this morning from Psalm 130, a psalm of David, David, a man who is close to God, dear to God, beloved of God, but also a man who sinned wildly and frequently, much like the rest of us. This psalm begins with a keen awareness of David's own sinfulness. David says, out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord. David is at rock bottom. He's gone down as far as he can go. And he's there because of his own sin. He has no one else to blame. But the beauty of David is that in his sin, in the depths, he runs to God. He doesn't run from God. He cries out to God and he says, If you, Lord, kept a record of sin, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. And he closes his psalm with this encouragement to all of us. Israel... Put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all of their sins. Hosea 14, the last oracle that we read, Hosea 14, verses 4 through 7, presents God's promise of forgiveness and healing to those who will respond to his call to return. We read, this is God speaking to his people. I will heal their apostasy. Apostasy is turning away from the faith. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like grain. Israel has been faithless repeatedly. Gomer, the prostitute, has cheated on her husband repeatedly. But God in his mercy kept sending an invitation to return, to come back, to do it again, come back to God. As God says to Hosea, uh, as God says in Hosea 11.8, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? 
God's abiding, committed love toward us keeps trying again and again. Like a parent who can't give up on her wayward, heartbreaking child. God repeatedly and persistently invites us to return. At first, we stay away because we think our life of sin is more appealing. But then later, we stay away even when our life of sin has gotten us on the ropes because we are afraid of God's wrath and judgment if we return. God's law, which we know in our bones remains holy and just, no matter how much we try to undermine it, no matter how much we look for loopholes. But in the cross of Christ, God's exacting justice meets God's expansive mercy. The demands of God's holy law require death. There is no other way. But the depth and the riches of God's love for us presents His own Son to die the death that we have earned. And so in Christ, there is both forgiveness of the penalty for sin and healing from the wounds of sin. You and I sin. And we all know where God stands on sin. The important question is not whether we will sin. The important question is, what will we do when we sin? Will I run to God? Or will I run from God? I spent 15 years running from God because I knew that by His law I stood condemned. And I used everything in my intellectual arsenal to convince myself that God's law was bunk. How dare God disagree with me? How dare God put a crimp into my lifestyle? Who does He think He is? My return to God was made possible by God's relentless, persistent kindness and mercy to me. And as I returned to God, I again saw and affirmed the holiness of His law, even though I was still a sinner. And I also saw that in Jesus Christ, God offered me a righteousness that I couldn't accomplish on my own. Our only hope, is to give up hope in ourselves and to stop running after other saviors. Our only hope is to run, to to fly, to, to move with urgent speed toward God. Confessing our sins, asking for forgiveness, accepting His help, receiving Christ's righteousness as our own. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Am I still a sinner? You betcha. Am I condemned? Not in the least. It's an unbelievable freedom that we enjoy by being grafted into Christ. It is only knowing God's forgiveness in Jesus Christ which allows us to have the courage that we need and the resources that we need to actually begin to go to work on the stuff in our lives that we want to take care of. 
When I sin, do I run to God or do I run from God? My story is no different from yours. We're all in the same boat. We all need Jesus. God loves us. He wants us to be free from slavery to sin. He wants us to be free from the oppression or the fear of judgment. If we run to Him, He welcomes us with open arms. If we run to Him, He heals us and He sets us free. If you have never made a decision for Christ, if you have never consciously admitted your own sinfulness, your need of Christ, if you have never turned to Christ to receive full and free forgiveness of your sins, then I invite you to do that today. It's a decision that you will never regret. And if you are a born-again Christian, and if you have given your heart to Christ, I encourage you, every time you struggle with sin, and this struggle will never end as long as we're on this earth, to run to Christ and to keep running to Him. The children of Israel that Hosea preached to were God's chosen people. They were especially beloved by God. But they too sinned. And God kept calling them back. Though they were unfaithful, He remained faithful to them and He kept calling them back, back into the fold, back into the favor and the blessing of God. When I sin, do I run to God or do I run from God? May we all keep running to God. For in Him is our hope and our salvation. Let us pray. Father God, we confess that sometimes we are afraid of you. And we are afraid of your judgment and we're afraid of what you will say about what we've been doing. And so we stay away. And we try to fix things on our own. Lord, someplace in our head or in our hearts, we understand that you are right and that there is no hope outside of you. So we pray that you wouldn't give up on us, that you'd keep calling us back. And we pray that you would give us the faith to trust you with this stuff to confess our sins, to repent, to turn, and to receive from you freedom. Lord, set us free and heal us. Let us sing your praises because you were worthy. Amen.